this time last year, when they told us we needed to shut everything down and stay home for a couple of weeks to flatten the curve, we dutifully complied, thinking, well, it's only a couple of weeks and we'll be back to normal soon. And whether that request for two weeks was a naive mistake or an out-and-out lie or somewhere in between, and there's a whole range of opinions about that, and I'm not going there, those two weeks stretched out farther and farther until here we are. And now, it's only now that some of us are emerging from our cocoons and seeing folks that we haven't seen in a year. And it's so good to be back together, isn't it? Yes. Well, we managed to keep some kind of communication with each other through postcards and email and text and phone and social media and snail mail and Zoom. We all love that, don't we? All of which are better than nothing, but none of which are nearly as good as face-to-face and skin-to-skin contact, even if it's only elbows. But had we known a year ago that it would be this long before we would be back in touch, I literally mean in touch with each other, we probably would have made a bigger deal about how we parted. There would have been more hugs, more kind words, more tears, more looking each other in the eyes as we walked away. Because if you know you're not going to see somebody for a long time or maybe ever again, you make sure that you say everything you need to say, that you do what you can to stretch the time, and you touch each other tenderly. And if you know that you or that other person is dying soon, you certainly do all of that. Well, that's what's going on at the Passover that we just heard about. You see, Passover for Jewish people is sort of Thanksgiving and the 4th of July all rolled into one. And they get together with their family and their friends to celebrate their independence from slavery in Egypt and thank God for His goodness in preserving them as His chosen people. And the disciples are all in. They're blissfully oblivious to what's on Jesus' to-do list for tomorrow. And they're doing what we do at Thanksgiving and the 4th of July. They're chowing down on a feast of rich food. They're quaffing four cups of wine. It's part of the liturgy, so that's okay. They're telling stories and they're laughing at how Jesus beat those Pharisees again. And they're laughing at each other and the stupid stuff they've done. Hey, Pete, how's that walking on the water going for you? But Jesus is fully aware of what's going to unfold in the next 15 or so hours, how he's going to be betrayed and abandoned and arrested and beaten and mocked and rejected and humiliated and paraded through the streets and nailed to a cross. He knows tonight is indeed the last supper. The last time he's going to be with his closest friends before they are parted by death. And even though he knows he's going to rise again, he knows they have not yet caught on to that detail. And he knows how the next 15 hours are going to rock and shock 
and disappoint and devastate and rack them with guilt and anger and despair and depression and leave them helpless and hopeless. So he wants to cram in as much intimacy as he can into those last few hours before the horror begins. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a chapter apiece about that evening and Jesus using the Passover bread and wine to institute a new covenant. John spends five chapters filling in the blanks of what Matthew, Mark, Luke leave out. Jesus washing his friend's feet, which is the most physically intimate act that anyone can appropriately do with someone they're not married to. John reports Jesus' final words of affirmation, you are my friends. His last instructions, love one another as I have loved you. And His promise, these things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus does everything we would do if we knew we would never see each other again. His disciples, once again, however, are blissfully unaware of what's about to transpire. Peter blinks in surprise. You're going to wash my feet? And the rest of them are just as surprised, but they're smart enough to keep their mouths shut. It's good to have a Peter around, isn't it? To, to say those stupid things that you're thinking about, but you're smart enough to keep your mouth shut. Okay? And so the rest of the disciples, they roll with what Jesus does and they pretend to listen to what he's saying. But their bellies are full of good food and wine, and it's been a long day, and the hour is late, so they're nowhere near as focused and engaged as Jesus is. I mean, why take any extra care tonight? We've been together for three years. We're going to be together tomorrow. Why get sappy about all of this stuff? But as they soon discover, they don't have tomorrow. They don't even make it through the night. And their last hour that they have together with Jesus, they waste it on the ground snoring in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus needs them most. Imagine how they felt as they all ran away from the soldiers that night and how they felt the next day as Jesus died and the next day after He's tucked away in a tomb and how they would have felt the rest of their lives had not Easter intervened. Judas probably would not have been the only one who took his own life. No matter what they remember of Jesus' words at the Last Supper, Jesus' friends discover that none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Every supper with those we love could be our last supper together. And as we have learned over this past year, none of us is guaranteed a tomorrow with each other or our friends or parents, grandparents, kids or grandkids either. Every time we're together with anyone could be the last time for a long time or even the last time ever here on earth. 
Now, thank God no one in the Messiah family died of COVID. But many of us know someone who did. And all of us know someone who knows someone who did. But whether or not COVID takes us out, sooner or later, everyone dies. Let's not let that happen without expressing our affinity and our affection for one another, especially those we love most. Debbie and I end every conversation on the phone with, I love you. We seldom part without a kiss and never go to bed without a kiss and I love you. My last words to my parents and my children and my grandchildren, whether in person or on the phone or in writing, is I love you. And I always sign my communication with all of you. I love you because I never know which time will be the last time we're in touch. And I want the last words you experience from me to be, I love you. That's what Jesus did at the Last Supper with his friends and with us. Let's do the same with our family, with each other in our parish family, and with our close friends. And those folks who are only acquaintances or people that we pass in the community, you don't have to wash their feet. But some eye contact and a wave and a warm smile, let them know that you recognize them as human beings and gives them a sense of connection that they, might not, they may not get anywhere else in their life. So whether it's a wave or a smile or a nod or a bump, a hug or a kiss, let's love one another as Jesus loves us. And let's love our neighbors as we love ourselves and communicate that clearly because we never know which time will be the last time we see someone.